I remember my pastor that when I would come back from, I'd have some, oh man, we were in India and we did five outdoor concerts and 15,000 people and a bunch came to the Lord and the, the God really moved and he did this and da, da, da. And then we went here and we did that. We did a, all he would say is, the, the question he would always say is, how are you and Rita doing? And I'd be like, uh, uh, yeah, we're, uh, yeah, we're, 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 we're good. Yeah. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. The Profile is the show where we delve into a person's life, faith and testimony. And it's brought to you in association with Premier Christianity magazine. That's the UK's leading Christian publication and it's the magazine that I edit. If you would like a free sample copy of our latest issue, you can go to our website, premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Simply type your details in and we will send you a free copy of Premier Christianity. But today, here on The Profile, I'm speaking to the worship leader and songwriter, Paul Galosh. What a good God, bringing me back to life, opening up my eyes, God of every blessing, standing by my side. Best known for penning songs including Open the Eyes of My Heart, Hosanna and Above All, He's also the author of a number of resources for worship leaders, and he's also been dubbed a pastor to worship pastors. Well, Paul, welcome to the program. Thank you, Sam. It's great, great to, be to with have you. you here. Thank you. I think I was thinking about this earlier. You know, I reckon pretty much every single Christian I know must have sung "Open the Eyes of My Heart" many, many times. Did you have any idea when you wrote that song that it would take off in the way it had? And you know, because it's still being sung nearly twenty years on since mm-hmm. when you released it. Yeah, of course, no idea whatsoever. You know, when you're at the time, I'm, I was a worship pastor at a little church in Texas, and we were writing songs for our church. There wasn't the like worship music was not sort of this uh, genre or industry almost that you could say as it's become. It was uh, pretty much just for our church, and we would have prayer meetings for revival, and just that phrase open the eyes of my heart, you know, I would just kind of journal things. I remember a pastor praying that one time, saying, well, tonight, Lord, as we look into your word, we pray you'd open the eyes of our hearts and give us understanding. And that just kind of, and I'm always kind of writing down little phrases. And so that just became something we would sing before it was a song. We would just like, you know, at a prayer meeting, we just kind of linger as a guitarist. You're in that key and just saying, oh, God, open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. We want to see you. You know, it was just more prayerful. And yeah. then a few months later, I thought, well, I should try to write a B section to that. And we, <laughs> so, yeah, no idea. It is fascinating, right? I mean, over the years, um, people that are like in the Congo, oh, yeah, we were doing a mission trip in the Congo and they were singing, you know, in a different language, but we recognized the melody. Or we were in Mongolia or Nepal, you know, we were up in this, you know, this indigenous group in Nepal and they sang we recognize the melody and so it's it's at that point you realize this is not has nothing to do with me you know what i mean this is uh i was reading an interview with you where you said almost even though you've written the song there comes a point where it kind of feels like it isn't yours almost exactly, so it's honestly. so you say it's not it's not like a kind of ego thing for you of, oh, no. my song's gone here it just honestly doesn't it doesn't feel like yours anymore it feels like something that's gone and is being used by the church 
It's true, and I'm not. That's not like some false humility or something. I mean, it's a. It, it feels like uh, maybe a child that you raised, you know, and you helped him, you know, and he goes off to college and has a career, and he's off doing his own thing. It's like, hey, way to go, little little song. Good for you, you know. Well, here on the show, we always like to go back to the beginning of a person's uh, life. So tell me a bit about what life was like growing up for you, and where Christian faith kind of fit into that picture. Okay, well, uh, I grew up just outside of Philadelphia, so uh, South Jersey, we would call that, like. Uh, New Jersey, not Jersey, uh, since we're in uh, in England here. We know you have your own Jersey. So there's a New Jersey and South Jersey just across the bridge in Philadelphia. So it has that Philadelphia culture. If you've ever seen the movie Rocky. Um, anyhow, I grew up in a what I would consider a sincere Catholic family. Um, you know, very much our life was, uh, you know, based around the church. We went to Catholic school, was an altar boy and you know, really grew up with sort of a knowledge of God and a, an appreciation for the mystery of God, the reverence of the Lord. Um, uh, but I never necessarily had a heart, heart-to-heart relationship, so I kind of missed out on that. And so in my high school years, began playing guitar, began having rock bands and played at various, the Jersey Shore. Um, <laughs> that was around just when Bruce Springsteen was kind of a big right. deal. He's from Jersey, so we're like, ah, yeah, we're going to be the... We're going to be like Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, but then with that came a lot of just craziness. There, there was older guys in our band. They were into drugs and all that. And I got started to get caught up in some of that. And, um, man, then I started running into people around my age. I was like 18, 19. I ran into them. They were talking about Jesus like he was real. And that was really fascinating to me. Because at the time, I thought, well, I'm doing everything I thought I'd want to do. I'm in a rock band. This is awesome. But I was really disillusioned. And, 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 Were you still uh, going to Catholic Mass at this not point? Not really, no. Sort of? No. But, but toward the end of that summer, we played at the shore every night from 10 o'clock till 4 in the morning. You know, it was just crazy rock and roll stuff. And uh, I'd wake up, you know, with a hangover and go to 12 o'clock Mass toward the end of that summer. Just It's all I knew, right? Mm-hmm. I just thought. Somewhere in my heart, I just knew that, man this isn't right and I'm not I need God whatever that means right and so slip into the back pew there and then I ran into some of these more and more people that were talking about the Lord and they actually read the Bible and next thing you know I went to some of their meetings and had one of those experiences where I went to this weekend and heard the gospel heard a lot of testimony and then an opportunity to give my life to the Lord and boom I, my, I came back from that weekend completely changed, wow. you know, just radically. Uh, everyone that knew me was just like, are you okay? I'm like, oh, man, yeah, Jesus <laughs> is real, man. You know, and like all my drug friends and music friends, I'm like, hey, so really, bro, music, Jesus is real. Like, oh, that's cool, man. That's, you know, they didn't quite know what to do with that. But there was no denying, right? So what sort of things had changed for you? Was this was this sort of your behavior changed immediately or it did behavior and yeah, I just had no desire to like, you know, some of these music guys. I could name some few of them. You wouldn't even you might know their names in the pop world, music world. And uh, you know, I had a big thing of cocaine. He's like, Oh, that's cool, man. Well here, you want you want some cocaine? I was like, No. I mean it wasn't because someone said, Thou shalt not do drugs. It was just everything from the inside out felt different and i was excited about you know god and the the bible like i'm reading the bible and it's just so alive to me and so and then going to a church where people when they sang these songs it felt like they really meant it Mm. and they were singing these choruses i'd never heard before and 
in him we live and move and uh, you know it was a little corny but i thought <laughs> wow it's that's quite it's, different from the hymns that you would have been singing yeah presumably. yeah and again not putting not putting that down you know i'm, I'm grateful uh for some of that heritage but you know and of course immediately i was uh, I won't go there. But anyway, I was inspired by this new found faith. And then a few other friends of mine who were musicians, boom, they got born again as well. So it was like, wow, you too? Wow, well, me too. Including uh, this woman who became my wife eventually. She was uh, kind of like a Joni Mitchell clone, songwriter, but, you know, tough. Left school, you know, left home when she was 16 and just living on her own kind of thing. And and then she had had a similar experience. So we were like, wow, I know, right? And then we started hearing Christian music, quote unquote, on this little AM radio station, like AM in, in America. You know, it's basically nobody really listens to AM yeah. radio. Yeah. But they played uh, this Christian music. It was like rock music what sort of stuff was this at the time what what kind of era was this was yeah this? this would have been uh people like second chapter of acts uh okay. mylon lefevre um twyla paris yeah um wayne watson uh you know and i and actually michael w smith his very first album you know and uh i remember thinking like this guy's good but <laughs> like he's not that like like I think I could maybe do that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like in the best sense, like yeah. so nothing but respect yeah. for Michael. But it gave me a sense of maybe I could do something like this, right. and uh, so ended up. Long story short, man, and went to California. Went to a music school. I'd played for years, but I thought, man, I should get like a legit, legitimate sort of training. Mm -hmm. So I did a one-year school, and I met some Christian artists who were doing some of this music. Had an opportunity to play guitar for them, and this one couple in particular. Uh, I'd go to their house on weekends and just mow their lawn and wash the dishes and just help out. You know, being around a, a, a married couple that was doing ministry and music, it was fascinating to me. And, uh, and I just loved being around them and thought it kind of gave me a picture in my mind of like, oh, this is how I guess you can do something like mm -hmm. this. You could have a family maybe and do music and ministry. And so I learned a lot. You know, just try serving some other ministries and mm. then eventually moved to Muscle Shoals, Alabama, which there's a great documentary out there that Muscle Shoals, Alabama is a great, it's where Aretha Franklin and the Rolling Stones did an album there and Paul Simon. It's a, it's quite a music, music town. And that was a great experience. Again, playing guitar for Lenny LeBlanc, which later on, years later, we wrote a song called Above All together and, and other songs. Um, but he was like a mentor to me. And uh, meanwhile, I kept in touch with this girl that I'd known that had that experience and ended up going back to Jersey. We got married. And uh, after about a year, we moved to Texas, where a place called Last Days Ministries, uh, Keith Green. So for some of your listeners may go, oh, yeah, Keith, Keith Green. Green. Oh, my goodness. The yeah. legendary Keith Green. Exactly. So he had, he had already passed. The plane crash had happened. But we ended up living across the street from Melody Green, his wife. Right. And second chapter of Acts were, were just just a couple doors down from us. We were living in a little mobile home, we called them, in, in, uh, in America. I don't know if you have them here. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, and they're like made out of cardboard, basically, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> and um, it was YWAM. We did a YWAM school, and there was, uh, we did missions, and there was a, the local church there. I thought, well, I'll just play guitar. And after a few months, the pastor that was leading worship turned to me and said, Paul, why don't you lead wow. us in a few songs? And... 
What's uh, fascinating about hearing that is the number of times you're talking about pe- people who, some well-known, some not, who were building into you, who were showing you, who were giving you opportunities. Yes. And th- that strikes me as you tell your story of there was a lot of people on the way who mm. kind of, it sounds like, took you under their wing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a very good point. Um, and I guess my, and my instinct was to, to try to return the, to, to kind of create some value, if you will, to not just be a Klingon mm. or a, a fan, but actually like, uh, you know, just in practical ways, how can I help You're this, keen these people, to learn, you yeah. know? And, yeah. you know, they had a two-year-old, oh, there's crying. I guess I pick up, do I pick up the baby? Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, oh, your, your lawn needs mowing. Oh, I can do that. Yeah, no problem. And so, yeah. so anyway, blah, blah, blah. We ended up in Texas and uh, started to lead worship at the church. At that point, was leading worship a thing? Because nowadays, of course, everyone knows what leading worship looks like. We've got lots of well-known worship leaders. Yeah. But was there that kind of a culture at the time when you first started singing songs? That's, that's an interesting question. Not in the way that it is now. Yeah, it's similar and yet different. You know, it wasn't kind of this thing or this title or per se. It wasn't as defined per se. At the time, this this local church where YWAM people plugged in, Mercy Ships, a lot of parachurch. Uh, it was just a place we'd gather on Sundays and the pastor pretty much led and whatever band people showed up mm-hmm. and we would just lead. And, and this particular time he said after the sermon, hey, I'm going to have a time of prayer and uh, Paul, why don't you come lead us in a few songs? You know, well, I'd never really done that. You know, I was a guitar player for other people, but and I'd sang like background vocals, but never been the guy to like step up to the mic and be like, uh, okay, let's sing together. You know, I'd never. <laughs> so it's kind of put on the spot, and but in a good way. Looking back, um, despite all the insecurities and all that, I just felt like okay and. So he encouraged me again, like, you know, a week or two later, hey, Paul, why don't you put a few songs together and maybe lead next week? And I remember saying, hey, thanks, you know, I feel like I can help with the youth or maybe kids ministry or do this, but like, I don't know, I don't really feel like that's my thing. And I'll never forget, he pointed at me and said, you know, if you do anything here, he said, you're a worshiper. You're a worshiper, Paul, and if you do anything, I think you should lead worship. And it's like one of those epiphany prophetic moments where people see something in you that you don't see in yourself and maybe perhaps now as we grow older right we see that in the next generation we see things in people and uh, i've tried to speak that to them yeah but anyway that was a profound moment and he said look we really can't pay you much but we'll uh we'll clean out that closet next to the platform that's full of stuff you can make that a little office and just come you know we can pay you maybe fifty dollars a week and uh well, that was exciting to me. Like, yeah. wow, okay, you're going to pay me? some <laughs> Anything amazing. And um, so I would go there to the church quite often and just uh, spend time the guitar and the Word of God and then the keyboard player, we, we'd meet there. And we started, um, we, we started getting excited about the thought of writing songs for our church. There was no, you know, to me, Nashville or doing a CD. It was the furthest, furthest mm. thing in my mind. Yeah. I didn't have faith even yeah. for that. I just thought just to write songs for our church sure. would be amazing, you yeah. know. And and so then you started to write songs for your church, and then presumably at some point the uh, worship world became interested, or you had a connection there that has now led to a career in making music and releasing CDs. So tell me about how that <laughs> transitioned happened. <laughs> in two minutes or less, yeah. In two minutes or less, right? I mean, I love looking back. There was such a, there was no such thing as like a career, if you no. will, and 
in uh, as a worship leader. It was just really just uh, still this YWAM missions mentality. We were doing mission stuff, but uh, we we just had this feeling. He was a piano player. I was a guitarist. We we took a loan out to get a reel to reel recorder, and we said. Uh, can you do Monday? How about Wednesday? And how about Thursday? So like three days a week, we'd meet at the church. Hey, do you have a song idea? Okay, yeah. Oh, Pastor, remember last week he, he prayed this thing and he was talking about, what if we kind of wrote a song kind of about that? And so that was the beginning for us. And we began to write these songs, simple choruses that maybe a Sunday or two later, we'd say, hey, good morning, church. Hey, so, you know, last month, Pastor preached on this. And so here's a little chorus. We just want to teach you this. And let's, here's how it goes. And and that was the beginning for us. Um, we ended up demo writing and demoing maybe 50, 70, 50, almost 100 songs. And then uh, somebody from Integrity Music uh, came through and was going to teach at the YWAM school for a week. And they asked me to lead worship one morning. And I stuck one of my songs in there. And he asked me about it afterwards and said, hey, we might be interested in that song. And oh, really? Then he said, do you have any other songs? Well, actually, <laughs> here's like a whole suitcase full, yeah. And he was like, "Wow, you know." And so, not all of them were were very, you know, were great or whatever. Um, but there was a couple good ones in there, apparently. And a few months later, uh, I got a call, and they said, "Listen, uh, we were going to do a, a a live recording with this person, but it fell through, and so we have a slot open. Would you be interested in doing a live worship record?" Uh, well, you know, you know, with great fear and trembling, <laughs> to use King James language. Uh, yeah, sure, I guess. You know, I just felt so inadequate and unprepared. And but oh, okay, and and then the beautiful thing that happened was the people that I had been serving, like in California, Kelly Willard and this Lenny LeBlanc and Muscle Shoals, and they like came to support me. And so on that first album with Integrity Music, it's. Uh, Man, the second chapter of Acts, Matthew Ward sang background vocals for me. Matthew Ward has like a five octave range. He's one of the most, he's like the Stevie Wonder of Christian music. So it's uh, like everything flipped and you went from supporting these people. Exactly. It was such such a humbling, uh, crazy thing looking back. Yeah, it's quite emotional when I think about it. But anyway, that was the beginning. So I signed with Integrity Music as a songwriter and we're still living in a little mobile home, having our second child and I'm giving guitar lessons and making $50 a week. And so it was just like they, a contract that said, you know, we'll pay you a little bit of money each month if you write songs for, I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> I'm going to get to write worship songs and you're going to actually give me an advance. Uh, yeah. So that was the beginnings for us. And um, I'm so, so grateful. That was 28 years ago. I was just saying to uh, someone, to Noah, um, who works at Integrity, that, yeah, 28 years ago, I signed that contract and I've been with Integrity Music ever since. Wow. So. That's a long time. Um, and in that time, as you as you look back, what have been some of the highs and lows of having really a career in music? Because that, that has been, that's turned out to be what you now do for a living and have done for 28 years. What have right. been the highs and lows of that time? Highs and lows, that's so funny. That That's, that's the classic when you're a parent you know, and you're having dinner with your your kids and they come <laughs> home from school. You're like, all right, so let's go around. Highs and lows, son. You know, so now you're turning it on me. Oh, the highs of, uh, you know, the beautiful community that we built in that we, we were in the same local church that, that I described for 26 years. So to in be Texas, you know, the, the same church, yeah. the same neighborhood, you know, just friends that, that were in that season of life with us, beginning to have children and then 
doing music and you know having our rehearsals and sometimes you know slipping in a hey here's a new song idea that that we're working on guys can we try this as a worship team so um the highs being i would say just the community of people that we built relationships with um just fantastic and then you know not to mention as time went on just the opportunity to every year and a half two years we'd have enough songs between my wife and i and that it was like, well, I guess we're ready to do another CD, you know, um, and to work with integrity and be like, yeah, we, we, we like this song. We like this one. Not so much that one. Uh, yeah, this is good. Yeah. And so about every two years for all those years, we would do a live worship recording, you know, and, um, you know, to see some of those songs go, as you say, it's a mystery to just <laughs> go to some place like you know since then i'd be in in india i'd be in uh singapore and here they you know i'm singing leading this song that i remember writing in my little church in texas and everyone thousands of people are singing every word to it it's like how did how's that even possible you know so with great uh incredible gratitude and a great understanding that it's just it's just the favor of the lord mm. you know it's just god's kindness and uh and God's favor to sort of allow me to be part of this process of writing prayers. I just see each one of these songs as basically like, here's a prayer that we can sing to God. Um, the best worship songs to me feel like it's a it's an authentic prayer that we're, instead of speaking that prayer, we're mm. singing that prayer. And as we sing that prayer, that it's like a, you know, it's like a catalyst in our heart that God does something. There's a transformation as we're, you know, honoring him with those. So that, that a lot of highs, right? A lot of highs there. The lows of, of you know, the lows would be just, um, gosh, you know, mostly things that, uh, areas that I feel like I fell short in. Like, you know, I definitely was the king of overcommitment. You know, I just kind of said yes to everything, you know, like, I just couldn't believe people were asking me to go do this. And sure, you want me to go to South Africa and teach for a week? Uh, yeah, sure, I'll do it. You know. Um, meanwhile, you know, my wife is home. And there's three children, and that, that, that's a that's that's a challenge. You know, it's a lot of work. So there's a great sacrifice on my wife's part. And um, so, in hindsight, do you wish you'd said no to a few of those? Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, and. So, yeah, I would say the lows of just the, those struggles of trying mm. to figure out what do I say yes to, what do I say no to? Mm. Well, this is, there, there's never a, a bad opportunity. Mm. It all at the time feels like, well, that's that's a good thing. This is yeah. God. This is, could be God. You know, and you think, this is the Lord? Yeah, okay, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And um, anyhow. But anyway, thankfully, when I interview my children, they 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 say, "No, we didn't know you were gone that much." I was like, "Okay." It's it's um it's still quite a common thing. I mean, I can think of so many not just worship leaders but Christian leaders in general have sat in that chair and have said very similar things about it's been really difficult to balance family and ministry and mm -hmm. church and um and not even just oh that used to be a problem, but actually people quite often say it still is quite difficult. Yeah. Which leads to my question of, well, how can we as the church get better at supporting perhaps people like yourself who face those difficult choices? Or what lessons have you learned personally about how to overcome that? Because it seems to be quite a, quite a common problem of mm -hmm. balancing family commitments, church commitments, work commitments. Sure. 
Have you learned any lessons about how you've been able to do that better or anything that you think would be helpful for other people to be aware of for those who face those kind of battles? Mm -hmm. It's a great question. You know, I think the root, when I look back, I think the root of it was fear. Fear of failure. Fear uh, as a man, like that I wouldn't be able to provide for my family. I was in a local church, but, you know, it was kind of a missions church, so they, they didn't pay that much. And yet I'm you know, I was so grateful to have that opportunity, but it did require me to sort of think outside the box and look for opportunities to like, oh, well, if I go here and they said they'll pay me, oh, great, you know. So just paying attention, I would speak to someone and say, you know, um, get with some older believers that you trust that, that you can be accountable to and just just be honest with yourself and recognize how much fear plays a role in that. And, and don't beat yourself up over that. Just mm. just say to the Lord, God, I, I'm not trusting you in this area. You know, it's hard to trust you. Like, I feel like it's all on my shoulders. Like when I wake up in the morning, I look at these three kids and my mortgage and my electric bill and my car and go, I've got to keep this going. You know, so that's a reality. So I would say, how can we help people in that? You know, I think making sure that we're checking in with them. Like, do you feel secure? Do you feel like you're being taken care of? Uh, do you feel like there's too much on you? Maybe in those days I would, in hindsight, go to my pastor and say, can I delegate a couple of these things? Mm. I sort of felt like I had to not only do the lead worship, keep that plate spinning, but I also needed to do this and I also needed to do this and do youth work or whatever. I just felt like responsible for the church and uh you know for a, a senior pastor to maybe initiate that to a a young ambitious person to say hey you know what you don't need to do this mm. and you don't need to do that and we want we want you to just keep your heart healthy mm. and your emotions keep it in a healthy place maybe even encourage that fella to, or young or gal to get some christian counseling mm. in their 20s or 30s so that they kind of can work through some of this early instead of doing an interview of when you're 50 and saying, what did you learn 20 years ago? <laughs> um, so yeah, just just be aware of overcommitment. Um, have some uh, accountability, you know, maybe have someone, an elder, a pastor, some that you can submit your request or calendar to occasionally mm. and say, "Is this does this feel like too much? Mm. And, I, and one last thing is I remember my pastor, it was brilliant looking back real quick that when I would come back from, I'd have some, oh man, we were in India and we did five outdoor concerts and, you know, there were 15,000 people and a bunch came to the Lord and the, the God really moved and he did this and da, da, da. And then we went here and we did that. We did a, a workshop with 500 worship leaders in Singapore and blah, blah, blah. And like, all he would say is, he'd go, oh, uh-huh. That's good. And then the, the the question he would always say is, so how's Rita doing? How are you and Rita doing? And I'd be like, uh, uh, yeah, we're, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're good. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, again, I was wanting him to be like, oh, that's great, brother. Oh, that's exciting <laughs> for the kingdom of God. Yes, in Jesus' name, hallelujah. <laughs> and he just always, uh, just this brilliant, humble uh, wisdom for him looking back that he, you know, it wasn't like he poo-pooed it or he put it down, but he just was never overly excited about whatever the particular exploit was. Yeah, He always kind of brought it back to like, 
Premier Christianity magazine. In this month's issue, Artie Kendall unpacks the problem with living for the praise of others. Missionaries Shirley and David Donovan share their harrowing story of being kidnapped in Nigeria and how God protected them during their 22-day ordeal. And we speak to Louis Giglio about his life-changing ministry to university students. Plus, Tim Hughes reveals how he spends his money. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. I wanted to talk more about the traveling because, um, like you say, you've, you've done some incredible events in some very far-flung places around the world. And I imagine that you go to some places and see the church expression in quite a different way to what you'd be used to in America. So what have been some of the things you've noticed about the church worldwide? You think, oh, wow, they do this quite differently. And can we learn from this? Wow. Such a good question that I, I wish I had studied up on. When I travel, I have this sense of wonder, like I'm just in awe and and in wonder of seeing people worldwide express themselves to the Lord. And, and I've come to just respect however they, sometimes you're in a situation where they express themselves quite conservatively, mm-hmm. where there's not an external... Uh, expression like just based on their externals you would think wow they're not very vibrant here you know and yet you know as you get to know them you perhaps recognize wow they have quite a they're quite a deep well you mm-hmm. know they're, they're 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 deep and they're thoughtful and uh that's powerful and then maybe you go to a, another event and it's just like highly emotional and highly expressive and over the top and amazing and as a worship leader you feel like all i have to do is play a g chord pretty much it's like Gring, let's worship the lord and they're like boom they're ready to go so you don't even feel like you're having to work very hard to quote lead worship you yeah. know um so um yeah it's it's hard to just give a, a pat answer like there it's the tapestry of the mm. kingdom of god is just beautiful to me and i've grown to just respect Whatever situation I go into, I think my earlier years, I kind of would go into a situation feeling like, all right, all right, right. I'm going to teach them how to really worship God. I'm going to show them. I'm going to model it. I'm going to teach it. And and it's like, you know, then then you kind of get humbled a few times. You, you go into situations and you get to know that group a bit and, and realize, yeah. wow, like maybe they only sing hymns. And you're like, oh, they're missing out on this really yeah. brand new music. And but then, wow, you, you recognize yeah. their deep, faithful walk with the Lord yes. for years and full of God and full of scripture. And so now I'm just sort of humbled when I walk into a situation and my prayer is just, Lord, number one, give me a, a respect for this particular group and kind of give me insight on how I can just come alongside them mm-hmm. to not come come into the situation like I'm going to I'm going to be whatever, you know, like I'm just, I just want to come alongside as sort of this phrase for years that I feel most comfortable with. It's, um, it's so easy to do that though, isn't it? To sort of enter into that judgment. I mean, I, I think I've heard others do it before of kind of judging how good that time of worship was based on how many hands were in the air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so easy to get into that mentality of what were people doing externally. Yeah. When you think, well, we, we serve a God who looks at the heart and someone yes. could be waving their hands in the air or not, but isn't necessarily a sign of how much they entered into a time of worship. But it's so easy, isn't it, to fall into that trap of, really, of thinking that it way. It really, really is. It really is. Even just so since Texas, we've moved to New York City. We've been there about four years. And just in New York City alone... You know, I've been in many different church expressions, and my kids were going to what I call a 
hipster Anglican church. <laughs> and I don't mean that as a pejorative. I, you know, it's... Uh, I know exactly what you mean. You know, they sort of grew up in charismatic expression yep. and all that and just sort of anything goes and, you know, and I, I, I love going there. I can go there and, you know, a prayer meeting that's just open-ended and... Mm. But on the other hand, I think a lot of uh, new generation is sometimes looking, they swing the other way and they're looking for something that's rooted in tradition, mm -hmm. that's grounded in more of an ancient faith that's not dependent on a personality as much, mm -hmm. like a, a charismatic pastor or a particular you know, worship team, let's say, but it's, it's beyond that. If that person were to leave, it's, you know, it wouldn't fall apart yeah. because it's based more on liturgy and uh, a continuation of this uh, centuries-old tradition. So I really respect that. So again, and, and just in New York City alone, you can go from this very sort of um, traditional liturgical-based experience to you know, boy, well, let's go to Brooklyn Tabernacle and boy, you'll just, you'll never hear people sing like that. You know, these are people that have been rescued out of severe poverty, drug addiction, prostitution, you name it. When they sing, it is, it reminds me of that scripture that he who has been forgiven much loves much. Yeah. And when they sing, it's like, wow. When they sing, I've been delivered or something, you know, it's not just a phrase for them. It's, mm. I've been set free. You're just so moved. So mm -hmm. again, I love the tapestry. I'm humbled by yeah. just to be in any of those environments. I've learned to just say, Paul, just keep an open mind and open heart. Mm -hmm. Don't be quick to judge. It's a great attitude to have. But, you know, I'm aware some people, um, especially in this country, will look at what they would what they would describe as American megachurches, and they would have perhaps preconceived ideas. But mm -hmm. you know, I hear a lot of, well, you know, it's all just about a light show, and it's too big, and how can they do real community, and it's not really about God, it's just about skinny jeans and good coffee. <laughs> you know, what, what would be your response to that? Because as someone who has worked in a megachurch, someone uh -huh. who ministers in that kind of environment, um, taking board what you've just said about experiencing the breadth of different mm, expressions. Yeah. Give us a defense of the megachurch model. Right, right. <laughs> well, one thing I will say, I was not in a megachurch. So I was in a church in Texas with limited resources, a volunteer oh, worship team. How many team. people? Oh, anywhere from 600 to 1,000. Okay. We I were. guess by American standards, that's not a megachurch. But I suppose by UK standards, kind of is. I, I mean, in, in the UK, I, I tend to say anything over about 1,000 people is... Sure. It's a mega church. Sure. I appreciate in America, that's nothing because I appreciate in America, you have churches of tens of thousands. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, but I, I have had the privilege of being in many of those churches, mm. the mega churches, and um, had a chance to get to know some of these leaders. And I can't defend every one of these leaders. And you're right. You know, there's, if we really put the magnifying glass on some of these leaders or maybe some of the choices they've made or some of this or that, um, it's, it's easy to just tear them apart. And, uh, but I'm always mindful that, you know, Jesus said, you know, in the same way that you judge, you'll be judged. Mm -hmm. So that, that, that creates a humility in me like, Hey, wait, hold on, Paul. And I have this phrase that my band teases me, but it's like, I give grace passes. Like I have a few, it's almost like, a, <laughs> like, like, uh, like, I like, that. like dollar bills. It's a grace pass. And I'll give people a few grace passes before I finally go, you know what? Yeah. This is weird. <laughs> you know, but like, I'll let one thing go by, like, that's eh, a little odd, but. It's all right. I try to give mm. some benefit of the doubt. And a lot of these mega churches, um, once you get in the inside, uh, I, I feel like the leaders, their intention, maybe they started off just 
great intention. And then some of them just frankly, maybe they made, uh, they were ill-equipped to sort of hire the right people as, as the church was exploding and growing maybe because of their gifting. Um, and so they probably made mistakes. Many of them would admit mm. uh, that, yeah, I wish I'd have done that better. Oh yeah, I wish I'd have, you know, delegated more and I wish I'd have, and, and small groups, you know, on one hand, they're great at creating this experience. And you're right, the lights and the sounds and all that at times, I'm like, do we need that? And yet it's very attractional, right? Mm. And so for some reason, it does attract mm. and it gets people in the door. But then most of most of the healthier ones, of course, they, they have a great small group, mm. like they use the alpha program perhaps, or things like that to kind of get people connected. Mm. So I see a lot of attempts, and there's some obvious ones that I would not defend, and I'm not going to name names, but some are just, they're weird. You know, they're just, it's sad, and it's, it's weird, and sure. maybe you see them on TV and you go. But then again, I, I always remember that scripture where the disciples went to Jesus, and they were like, oh, this person's preaching this, and this one's preaching yeah. this, and Jesus' response was, I'm paraphrasing, but look, just let the wheat and the tares grow up together, and at the end of the day, our Father in heaven He's going to be the one that figures it out. Because he's like, if you're not, you don't know. You and I don't have the wisdom to go, all right, this is definitely a tear. This is a weed. So let's tear this up. And oh, this is wheat. This is good. Like, maybe we'd be, what if we're wrong? Yeah. What if we're like trying to say, oh, this is terrible. This is horrible. And what if God's actually using that particular one? So I try to keep that attitude of like suspend judgment until it's extremely obvious yes. that. Yeah. The fruit is just bad, so. Sure. So so you're singing, you're leading worship on stage as uh, as you've done so many times through the years. And I love what you said earlier about your testimony, very radical uh, change of heart, change of mind, coming to God, going from death to life, coming to know him. And you stand there on stage. Have you ever had a moment where you've looked out all these people leading, uh, singing songs to God and you're leading them? Have you ever had a moment where you just thought, what if this God who we're worshiping none of us have ever seen in the flesh what if it's all not real <laughs> i mean i think any honest christian has asked themselves i think i think doubt is a part of our faith i think doubt is a part of a healthy faith somebody's going to disagree with me and i appreciate that uh i understand but i think uh you know there will be moments and seasons in our life perhaps where we wonder whether you're a worship leader or not. You just wonder, huh? And yet, that's at the end of the day, that's why it's called faith. Can I absolutely 100% prove entirely that all this is 100% true? Um, I don't know if anyone can do that. That's why it is called faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Thank you, Hebrews. Allow room in your life to don't feel like it's it's a it's a sin. Of course, you know, yeah. Again, we, we, this is a, that's a whole show on its own. But the the answer to your question, yes. But I've just seen too much to turn back now. That's a line in a song I wrote that no one's ever heard. <laughs> it wasn't a very good song, but I I wish I could pull that line out. But the the idea was I've seen too much to turn back now. Like not only have I is there the evidence of scripture, the evidence, the archaeological, archaeological evidence as well, and all that sort of, uh, you know, the old book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, if you remember. But experientially, I've just experienced and seen too much. Mm -hmm. I can't deny. I can't mm -hmm. deny uh, people that I've met, families that I've met, that 
it's beyond personality, beyond mm. temperament. There's just there's the Holy Spirit is so evident mm. in their life, in their family. Um, I, I just can't deny that. Sorry. And so even when I've come to the very end of like, ah, maybe this is all we're just making. I I can't I can't deny what I've seen. So I choose to continue to believe. And um, yeah. Do you um do you ever Google your name? No. <laughs> you know, uh, if you if you were to Google your name, you know how um, there's uh, uh, Google has this thing where it automatically tries and guess guesses what the next words might be. So if you type in Paul Balosh, it auto fills you know songs. Maybe you're looking for songs okay. or albums. Okay. You know the other one that comes up it says net worth. It does. Yeah, people were searching because they want to know how much you're Aww. worth. That's weird. Is this some sort of celebrity thing that's happened in the worship world where people have become put on pedestals? I suppose so. I suppose why do we want to do that to people? Um, we just do we. I say we as a as a culture, as a people. I mean, even Israel, they wanted a king. Mm. They wanted a king, and mm. God was like, "You don't you don't need a king." And mm. like, we demand a king, and mm. so we live in such a celebrity. You know, that's why all those crazy magazines and so much media is focused on celebrity, right? Mm. So I don't know. You know, it's it's sad that we. Uh, it's it's pretty shallow yeah. and it's pretty gossipy, and you see things even on Twitter, the things that people argue about and that they're preoccupied with. It's quite shallow. How do you help and train the next generation of worship leaders who are living in that world of social media in a way that uh, arguably is quite scary? So I'll give you an example. For me, I'm a, I'm a millennial. Okay. And I can, at a push, turn my phone off for one day a week because I find that quite a helpful thing mm -hmm. to do. Good for you. However, for the next generation, Generation Z, that idea of switching off a phone, I'm told, for them... For their mentality, that's a bit like asking them to switch off reality. Huh. And so the next generation live in this world, like you say, the gossip, the social media, that anyone can go on Twitter and say anything about you or me or anyone else. Right. How do we train the next generation of worship leaders to live in that kind of a world? Because I imagine, as I said, you're known as a pastor to worship <laughs> pastor. So I imagine this sort of thing comes up, you know, with the yeah. how many followers do you have and do you need a platform before yeah. you get a record deal and what are people going to say about me online? I'm imagining these are quite real questions. I mean... And and I want to be the first to point a finger at myself because as a person who grew up without smartphones, you know, here I am subject to, I find myself emotionally and habitually subject to this, like, where's my phone? Da, da, da. Oh, this was a good, like, mo even this moment here, like, there's a part of me that's like, oh, we should probably get a picture of this. And I'll put it on Twitter and say, yeah. hey, had a great interview at Premiere, you know, like. Um, I'm all for that, by the way. Yeah, and of course, <laughs> and we'll do that, you know, right? Um, it's difficult. I wrestle with the same questions. Yeah. I, I, I think the same thing about well, where's the line between me just wanting to share something cool that happened exactly. and where's the line of me boasting, look who I met today, right. look who I've got a picture uh, of. That's the most painful part, and I share that with my quote, quote, followers. I mean, I have this new album out, this new song, Behold Him, and the album will be titled Behold Him with all, you know, 10, 11 new songs, and... You know, it's such a struggle. The, the the part that I dislike the most, my least favorite part of doing an album is when I have to promote. Yeah. Because you're writing songs of worship. We're, we, uh, worship leading, essentially, you're promoting Jesus. You really are. You're a signpost. The songs, your attitude, when you're even live, you're leading worship. 
ideally the worship pastor disappears after the second song or two you know like you're in the beginning you're just a gal hey good morning let's stand together and da 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 and you're the tension but then you're, you're just a whole your posture is you're pointing people to the lord and i almost had this image of by the third or fourth song i'm just like sneaking off of the platform like if you will and i just want people left with this sense of like ah oh, wow here we are in the presence of god yeah so you know it's just awkward to go hey guys i got a new song check it out here's my new video here's this and so i i try to just share even the i call it the tension yeah. i just just to be honest and say just hey thank you guys for your support and your encouragement on this new project i know that i'm over promoting and self prom it feels i'm feeling the tension of mm. self-promotion mm. versus my heart is really to promote yeah. the things of god and so thank you for a grace pass if you will <laughs> Thank you for just another few weeks. You'll have to put up with some of this promotion and then we'll just go back to just every day, you know, hey, uh, this is a picture of me and my family, you yeah. know. I love that though, because it shows that surely if you're aware of that tension and you notice it as a tension, isn't that a much healthier place to be in than if you weren't aware of it? Do you know what I mean? I, I agree. That goes for anything in our life, like to, you know, even certain sins or pride or whatever, you know, you just, you can't just get to a point, I don't believe so, where you're just like, yeah, I'm done with that. I'm over that forever. I'll not, that'll never be an issue again in my life. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, we do have a thing. <laughs> there out. is an enemy of yeah. our soul who uh, prowls about like a lion. So I prefer to look at it as keeping it in check. Tell me a bit about um, songwriting, uh, specifically co-writing. So I know you've written with other worship leaders quite a lot and i'd love to hear more about that process uh, yeah. so two or three of you in a room how do you even begin to write a song when there's more because <sighs> in my head i'm thinking well if it's just you you've got your own music you've got your own lyrics but as soon as you add someone else into the mix in my head it makes it harder but i know other people say it's actually easier so tell me a bit about that well it's it's quite delightful really because the worst that can happen when you get with another writer a person that you respect musically or you know, the worst that can happen is you spend two or three hours together. First of all, having some coffee or tea. Good start. Having a conversation Strong start. like we are. Yeah. And then you know, a little bit of your life and this is what's going on with me and da da da. And then eventually you get around to, so is there any ideas that are kind of themes that are on your heart? You, oh yeah, well, I'm, you know, I heard this sermon last month and it was about this and da da da. So you spend three hours talking about the Lord, uh, trying to be creative, trying to take God's word and and ideas about God and, and fashion them in a way to where craft it into a prayer that perhaps others could sing. Mm. That's the goal is ultimately to take these, these ideas that almost like taking a one hour sermon. In fact, I did this once with Graham Kendrick. We listened to a teaching tape. Um, it was like a 30 minute sermon and we took notes. And then when it was all done, we said, all right, so let's write a song about this teaching because wow. it was such a cool idea. Mm. And, you know, within a few hours, we, we wrote the song, but it was inspired by, and, and that's a good point, is when you enter a co-writing situation, you don't want to just come in empty-handed. Mm. You know, there's the, the process of collecting uh, ideas. So always looking for inspired ideas. Yeah. So prior to a co-write, I'm listening to sermons. When I listen to a sermon, I always encourage uh, songwriters to be active listeners. Don't mm. just listen passively, but you know, have a way to write down, oh, that was a great hook. Oh, I love the way what he just said there. Oh, wow, she just said that. Prayer meetings, you're in a prayer meeting for an hour and someone just cries out to the Lord and just happens to say a certain phrase and you go, oh, wow, oh, that, that's, that's something we should sing to God. So open your eyes and write that down, you know, like write that prayer. 
so that when you enter a co-writing situation, you have something to contribute, you know? Mm. And uh, yeah, on this new album, again, just I, I, not to drop a bunch of names, because I used to write with names that no one ever heard of. Um, but, you know, on this new album, most of it are co-writes with Brenton Brown, uh, Matt Redman, uh, Jason Ingram, uh, All Sons and Daughters, you know, Leslie, um, gosh, a whole several others that I'm, I'm leaving out. But the point being, um, oh, even uh, the Elevation guys, Chris Brown, Chris Brown and uh, Stephen Furtick, there's a song on there. Um, and I, I didn't even know them. I, did, I just, it was my first opportunity to actually get in a room with them. Yeah. Hi, how you doing? Yeah. And so the first, like I said, 30 minutes, you're getting to know them. Yeah. And that's, so a guy says, yeah, so I've got this song idea about heaven and I'm just like, da, da, da. I'm thinking about, oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, mm -hmm. the, what's the chord there? And so the dynamic is, as I say, the bottom line is the worst that can happen is you spent three or four hours, you didn't come up with a song, but wow, how awesome that what a rich time of talking about the Lord and yeah. sharing your heart. So so give me some yeah. some examples of, of some of the kind of themes and the ideas that you feel like we need to be writing songs about that idea or that theme or that sermon topic and how um, you've done that on the new albums. Give me some examples of some of the songs that are coming out on the new record and how they relate to certain themes you think the church should be singing. Wow. Um, again, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I can't... You know, when you look at the old hymnals, I think that's a good place to start. I think uh, a danger you can fall into as a songwriter, and I encourage young writers, don't just try to write the next, like, international worship anthem or whatever. You know, we, we already, you have no control over that. So don't even try to do that. Take the pressure off of yourself and um, go back to the Word of God. There are so, there's so many scriptures that we've yet to to sing you know many of the scriptures we we've written many songs about um uh, oh gosh a few of mine from the past right like today is the day you have made i will rejoice and be glad in it it's like um that's just straight scripture um uh my last album had oh oh our lord how majestic is your name in all the earth just like flat out uh, verbatim scripture Last album, there was a song from Psalm 92. It is good to praise you, Lord, and make music to your name, Almost High. And the B section was verse 2, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Um, I love taking Scripture and singing Scripture because really the Psalms were not meant to be read. If you think about it, the Psalms are, it's a songbook. It's literally a hymnal. And David never wrote, it wasn't a lyric book, it was a songbook. So every one of those songs... When we read Psalms, there is a melody to every one of those. So uh, it's something to keep in mind. So oftentimes, I'll start there even in a co-writing situation. I'll just take a Psalm, begin to just sing, and put a simple melody to that song, even without my guitar. And I'll walk around the room just... So anyway, so the new album, for example, there's a song, Behold Him, which comes from the scripture read right out of Psalms is, uh, Be still and know that I am God. And I feel like that, we, the co-writer, Mitch Wong, and I talked about the, in the culture that we live in, that's just ever, it's, it's the most changing, rapidly changing uh, part of history we've ever been in. The information we get in one day is more than our great-grandparents had to process in a year, you know? So learning to be still in the midst of chaos and craziness and busyness. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the emphasis behind that. Uh, the themes, I'll, I'm sorry, I'm not being like so direct with your question, but 
oftentimes you're just trying to tell the gospel Mm -hmm. in a in a song again you're trying in a three and a half minute song four minutes you're trying to all kind of remind so the lyric to that is you know he who was before there was light he walked across the pages of time he who made every living thing behold him he who heard humanity's cry left his throne to wake as a child he became like the least of us behold him jesus son of god messiah the lamb the roaring lion oh be still and behold him and just like oh be still and know that i am god you know it's it's kind of that that heart if you will I guess one of the wonderful things about being a, a worship songwriter is is you part of your job, I suppose, is to get into that place of awe and wonder, and mm. just as you were doing there, just singing and speaking out praises to God. But but what do you do when that isn't coming so easily or naturally? Because we all go through times as Christians mm-hmm. where things are just a little bit harder. Do you have go-to practices or books that you would read or things you would listen to just to help you recapture that sense of? of awe and wonder in God. Because I imagine as the years have, got, have gone on, it hasn't always been easy oh, to do that. So what on. have you done in the times that have been Absolutely. Well, that's we need one another. So we there's no such thing as a, a Lone Ranger Christian. You know, anybody remembers that phrase, the Lone Ranger. <laughs> uh, but he was sort of a, a very self-sufficient, didn't need anybody kind of a hero, John Wayne type. And yet that's, that's a myth because we need mm. one another. We need to be in community. And so even in the songwriting process, you know, uh, getting with another writer, maybe I walk into a room and I'm feeling, oh, many times I've said to my wife, you know, I'm, I go to Nashville maybe for three days, I have some rights set up and, and I'll say to her, you know, I've got ideas, but I feel so ill-equipped. I feel so unprepared. I feel so uninspired and I have such a fear of failure. Like I'm going to walk into the room and the other writer is going to say, be thinking after 30 minutes, wow what a waste of time you know what i mean i would say i'm sure that's never happened well i'm just you know and 99 percent of the time you're right by the time we finish those three hours it's like wow god you did it again lord you did it again you always come through just by getting with another believer and it kind of stirs we stir each other right stirring one another stirring up the gifts so i would say over the years getting with others who uh find someone who refreshes you mm. This was a something I, a revelation I had years ago. Like as a worship pastor, there's two kinds of people in life: refreshers and drainers. And there are people who refresh you, but mm-hmm. oftentimes people in ministry spend most of their time around people who kind of drain you. Mm-hmm. And that's not in a bad way. That's not a pejorative. But there are people who they have needs. They 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 need something. They want something there. Mm-hmm. And so you are in a position as a pastor, perhaps of. You're giving, you're giving, you're pouring out, you're giving emotionally and spiritually, and you've got to find ways to spend some time with some refreshers, Mm. people who you can uh, let your guard down around. You don't have to be on, if you will. And that's so critical. So I would ask anyone listening to like pause this and and write down, ask ask yourself, who are the refreshers in my life? Who, who are those people I can go and exhale and be completely myself or express some anger or, or vent a little bit and just say, I'm, I'm kind of sad lately or I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really discouraged. Or I'm, I, I really feel lonely. Isn't that weird? I'm surrounded by people, but I just feel kind of a little depressed and that's really not like me usually. And, and just, whatever that thing is you're feeling, 
Can you name two or three people in your life that you can be that real with? That's so critical. We need one another. And it's not enough to just have Facebook friends or Instagram. Those aren't real. That's, they don't really know the real you. And if you find it difficult to name two or three refreshers, then this is your assignment this week is to pray, God, Lord, open my eyes to people in my past, in my present, in my community that I, I need that kind of a relationship. I need someone. I felt like the Lord said to me when we moved to New York, because um, it was definitely like a transition. It was the end of an era, 25 years, you know, same church, same, doing the same work. And it was definitely, okay, now we're, tra- we're passing that off to the next generation. We're transitioning. We're going to move into a 900 square foot apartment in New York City. And I was going to do this. And I was going to do this. And I had plans to do this. And I felt like after six months, a lot of that just kind of wasn't working out like I thought it might. And, um, and I just felt like the Lord's, I was like praying, God, what do I, what do I do here? And, uh, anyway, I don't know why it's so emotional, but I felt like the two words he said to me was, Paul, be available. That's what I want. That's all I want from you, Paul. Be available to others in the city, to young leaders, to peer, you know, peers and, and especially next generation as I'm, you know, in my 50s now. It's like, be available. Let people into your life. Let some of these young guys into your life. You don't have to counsel them. You don't have to have words of wisdom. I may give that to you, but just make time to be available. Yeah. Ah, and that's been beautiful because it's been reciprocal as I have been available and I just let guys, young guys kind of share their heart and try to be a safe place for young guys and, and some young gals, but you know, it's more appropriate. And uh, I find that I gain, I'm, I'm gleaning from them. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm learning to reconsider some things as a boomer, if you will. <laughs> you said you're a millennial, you know, here I am, a baby boomer. And yet, <laughs> you know, I don't have it all figured out and there's, our culture's changing, things are changing. How do I navigate change? How do I keep from just being stuck stuck in the mud, if you will, or just stuck in my ways. And this is always going to be the way to think about this. Um, You know, I'm challenged in a healthy way. I'm challenged to rethink some of these things and to ponder and and wrestle again. And I'm growing and that's how we grow. My thanks to Paul Baloche for joining us on the Profile podcast. And my thanks to you for listening in. I do hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you did, then you're sure to love Premier Christianity magazine. That's the magazine that I edit. It comes out every single month and you can get the latest issue delivered to your doorstep completely free of charge. No obligation to subscribe. Simply request your one free copy of the latest issue at premierchristianity.com and you'll get to enjoy loads more interviews, all the latest news, commentary on church trends and more. premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. That brings us to the end of the show. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next time.